As Pastor Dave said, uh, he just read the passage he just read uh, is just for our scripture reading. I would ask that you'd keep it open just for a few moments because we'll be looking at it right in the beginning as we introduce our text for this morning. Uh, but I thought it'd be a fitting and also a helpful passage to introduce our text this morning and really our series for the next four weeks entitled, Who is This Child? as we consider Hebrews chapter 1. In this familiar passage that Pastor, Re Pastor Dave just read for us, we find in it twice that Mary's baby, who will be named Jesus, is also called the Son. If you look with me at Luke chapter 1, verse 32 in that passage, again it says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And then again in verse 35, if you look with me there, it reads, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be, to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So I emphasize the fact that this baby and child of Mary who will be born, whom we celebrate his birth on Christmas, is called the Son of because as we come to Hebrews 1, which, will, as I said, will be our text for this week, but also the next three weeks, we find the same title is given, The Son. So as we look at Hebrews 1, when we see the title, The Son, or The Son of God, this is speaking of Jesus. So if you would turn with me to uh, Hebrews 1, that is going to be where we're going to be spending the good amount of our time this morning. Hebrews chapter 1. And the page number for this passage is 1,275 on the Bibles that are found under your pews. But Hebrews chapter 1 is going to be our text for this morning. And as you turn there, we find in Hebrews 1 a glorious and really a mind-blowing passage and truths that are revealed concerning the Son. We are given descriptions of who this child born on Christmas really was. He was no ordinary child. There was a whole lot more to the baby born in the manger than met the eye. We certainly can see this from the Christmas story. If we think about those books that we even talked about in the children's message this morning, uh, in the books of Matthew and Luke, if you read those accounts, you could tell that this child is no ordinary child by the things that are said and by the things that happen. But I want to take us to a passage, and we're going to be looking at a passage these next four weeks that is kind of a different approach to the Christmas story or to celebrate Christmas as we consider who is this child from Hebrews chapter 1. And my hope for this series as we make our way through Hebrews 1 this Advent season is that we grow in our understanding, in our appreciation, and really stand awestruck as we consider who this child is who was born on Christmas. As we go through Hebrews 1, I would challenge you to constantly think of these questions. Is this how I usually think of Jesus? Is this how I usually think of Jesus? And is this what comes to mind when I say Jesus' name? And I would also challenge you as, we, as you leave each Sunday to walk away meditating and reflecting throughout the week on the truths that we're going to learn about the Son of God. These are deep truths. These are things that we need to continually think about um, to grow in our understanding of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. These things might be new. They might be kind of just a refresher of something that you've already heard. 
but consider these things so that you can grow in a greater to have a greater understanding, appreciation, and awe of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the child who was born in a manger. As I said, uh, to do this, we will be considering Hebrews 1 the next four weeks. This week, we're going to just take two verses. We're going to look at Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. And then the next three weeks, Pastor Reed is going to take uh, the rest of this chapter. So if you looked with me at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, I'll read this passage in full for us as we begin this morning. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 says this, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. As we start this morning and as we consider this passage in specific, I want to bring to your attention that this is the beginning of a book of the Bible. And specifically, this is the beginning of a letter in the Bible called Hebrews. And if you compare this introduction to other letters in the Bible, uh, you're going to see that's very, very different. Usually in an introduction in the letter of a book of the Bible, the authors mention, the recipients mention, but here we don't find any of that. Rather, the author cuts to the chase and really presents a glorious and a glowing introduction of his main subject for this letter of, he of Hebrews, Jesus, the Son of God. So our theme for Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 is this. Hebrews opens with a glorious introduction of Jesus, the Son of God, showing him as a revelation, an heir, and creator. Again, the theme is Hebrews opens with a glorious introduction of Jesus, the Son of God, showing him as a revelation, an heir, and creator. So we're going to take these three descriptions and make them our three points for our outline this morning, a revelation, an heir, and a creator, as we consider the beginning to the book of Hebrews, and for our purposes, as we consider who is this child that is called the Son of God. So first, the Son of God is a revelation of God. Please look with me at our text. It reads, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. As we consider this first point, we'll consider first what is meant by this word revelation, that the Son of God is a revelation of God. There are some who would claim to believe that, yes, there's a God, though that God can't be known. Certainly that God has never spoken and has not revealed itself in any more than setting up this world and letting it run its course. This is not the one true and only God we find in the Bible. We find a God who's revealed himself. That is what is meant by the word used in this first point, revelation. This word revelation speaks of God revealing himself, displaying himself, or showing himself specifically to mankind. As we consider God's revelation, the Old Testament speaks to the fact that God has revealed himself in creation. As you think of a specific, as a, if you think of a familiar passage, Psalm 19 says this, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. 
So as we come to our verses in Hebrews 1, 1 through 2, we find that God has revealed himself more specifically and further through the prophets in the Old Testament, and then we find in his Son, Jesus Christ. What we find in Hebrews 1, 1 through 2, and specifically in this first point, is that the author of Hebrews is presenting a contrast. A contrast between two different forms of God revealing himself in the Old Testament prophets and then in the Son of God. And the author of Hebrews is doing this to highlight and ultimately magnify the role of the Son of God in revealing God. When you think about this word contrast, I say we see a contrast in Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. When you think about the word contrast, usually in our mind, some negative connotations come to mind. We might contrast with someone, uh, with someone else to show that that other person was very positive compared to the other person. We might compare our new car to our old car to show the issues, to show the problems that our old car had. But here, as we think about the word contrast, and as we find it in our passage, we're not looking at negative or a negative contrast, but instead, again, a contrast that is to show how much greater and better the Son is in revealing God. We also see this isn't a negative contrast by the fact there is a continuity between the prophets and the Son. What I mean by the word continuity is though different, though not the same, there is a component that ties them together that is very important. We see that the prophets and the Son, they don't contradict each other, or their messages don't contradict. So in a moment, we'll look at the contrast, but to begin, we'll consider this continuity, or this thing that holds these two together. So if you look back with me at Hebrews 1, 1 through 2, and as I read these verses... Look to see if you can see the thing that remains the same between the prophets and the Son. So Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Did you catch the thing that remains the same? It's that it says that God spoke with the prophets. And then with the Son, it says, He has spoken to us by His Son. So in each of these, in the prophets and in the Son, God is the common denominator. God is revealing Himself. God is authoritatively speaking through the prophets and through the Son. God is authoritatively speaking through someone else, showing Again, that God is a God who speaks. He is vocal. He does not remain hidden or silent, but he shows himself and seeks to communicate who he is to us. As we consider application, let me remind you that as we consider this text of Hebrews chapter 1, specifically as we prepare for Christmas to consider who this is that we celebrate Christmas for, I also want us just to consider the context of the book of Hebrews. We don't want to take this passage out of context, but we want to think about who was this written to. And as we think about that, we see this as a book written to those facing persecution. The Christians that, these, that this letter is written to, they're going through trials, they're going through hardships. And as we think about that, certainly they may have questioned then, where are you, God? Why are you not speaking 
to us. God may have seemed silent to the Christians uh, that the, the author of the book of Hebrews is writing to. He may have seemed silent in the midst of their trials and hardships, yet they learned and we should learn from our passage and for our times that we don't have a silent God. He has spoken and is speaking through his word. We today specifically have God's word written down, both the words of these prophets and the words of his son. We should not question, is God being silent? Or is he not choosing to speak to us? Because as long as we have the scriptures, God is speaking to us as they are the words of God. So these Christians in the book of Hebrews were facing persecution for being Christians. It could cost them their lives to be a Christian. We in our country today, for the most part, aren't dealing with that type of persecution. But certainly, as we consider our lives, we have trials, we have hardships in a general sense. If it's physical pains, maybe with an injury, a disease, if it's a broken relationship or a hurt that comes from a relationship, it could be injustices that we experience. With whatever suffering we experience, we may be tempted to say, where's God? Where's God? God is being silent. Yet amazingly, we have God's word readily before us in the Bible. God is speaking to us in our struggles, in our hurt, in our suffering, just as the author of Hebrews was trying to show the Christians that he was writing to, facing persecution for their faith back then. God has spoken and is still speaking today through his written word. We have to listen to it for comfort, for instruction, for direction in our suffering. Another point of application as we think about this fact that God has spoken and speaks today is we also see here in this continuity of God doing the, the speaking through the prophets and through his son that both the Old Testament, which the prophets represent, and the New Testament, which the Son of God represents, are to both be seen as authoritative and useful. Both are to be seen as the Word of God. We should be challenged to take both of them seriously and submit to both of them as the words of God. We can't just throw out the Old Testament because we have the New Testament. God has spoken through both. Both are God's Word, meaning that we as Christians should be reading both the Old and the New Testament. We as a church should be preaching from the Old and the New Testament. I think as I, I think of my time growing up here that our church has done that very well as Pastor Reed has preached faithfully both through Old Testament books of the Bible and New Testament books of the Bible. Now that we've seen the continuity between the prophets and the Son of God in that God speaks through them both, we'll consider the contrasts. We'll consider four contrasts that the author of Hebrews presents between the prophets and the Son, and again, to highlight and magnify the Son of God in revealing God. The first contrast we'll consider is the time of revelation. If you look back with me at our passage, it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So the prophets he spoke through long ago, showing that it's in the past. The son he had spoken through recently, as it says, but in these last days. 
So God has spoken, has chosen to speak recently by his son. The second contrast considers the recipients of the revelation. It says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So as we consider the recipients or who receive God's word from the prophets and from the son, we do well to consider what these people could know from them. The fathers could only know what God had revealed to them through the prophets. The recipients of the letter of Hebrews could know what was revealed by the Son and what was revealed before. And we are included in that to us that the author speaks of here. So a point of application that I want to make quickly here is that God has spoken to us by his Son. And when we consider this, we should respond by praising God for the privilege to know what we know. As we think about the recipients, as we think about what we can know today, as opposed to those that were living in the Old Testament time period, we should praise God for the privilege to know what we know. Those in the Old Testament days knew far less than us. Though they knew a Savior was coming, though they could know things about God, though they certainly could have true faith in God, they didn't know the person and the work and the details about Jesus Christ and all that took place with him. They didn't have the New Testament. So we should see it as a privilege each and every day that we can read the New Testament, even that we can read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. We come to our third contrast we find in our passage. The third contrast is between ongoing revelation and a final revelation. It says this, Long ago... At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So God spoke through the prophets at many and different times. It wasn't just one time period, but we see all throughout the Old Testament. We got Moses with the Exodus. We got Elijah with the kings. We got Haggai with the time after the exile. We have many prophets that we could list off right here of the many ways or the many times and the many ways that God had spoken through them. In these occurrences that God spoke through the prophets, he didn't always speak the same, but he chose to speak in many ways through these prophets. So with the prophets, there's great variety and plurality. While God spoke through the Son as one person, in one time period. There's a finality to the sun. The mention of the sun seems to complete, to fulfill the revelation of God. Though we have the apostles writing books of the Bible, books of the New Testament, after Jesus ascended up to heaven, this wasn't something new. It shouldn't be looked at as another form of revelation, but they were connected to the sun in his ministry on this earth. So as we consider the revelation of the Son of God, we can say that his word is final. It is the last. We shouldn't be expecting more prophets to come in our day or some other sort of revelation. We see this finality of the Son's revelation further in who he is, as we see with this fourth and last contrast, the agent of revelation. So the fourth, fourth contrast is the agent of revelation, or simply the person God spoke through. As it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers 
by the prophets. But in these last days, he's, he has spoken to us by his Son. So though we keep mentioning this, we keep mentioning it's the prophets and the Son, I want to go just a bit deeper here to think about who God is speaking through. We're to see here in the contrast among the others how amazing and how much greater the Son is than the prophets. The prophets were human. Though speaking the perfect and authoritative word of God, they were still in themselves sinful and imperfect people. While the Son of God is the perfect and sinless and had a perfect, unfathomable, and intimate relationship with God the Father. The prophets were given the word of God as they said, Thus says the Lord, while the Son of God is literally called the Word. John 1.1, you don't have to flip there, but John 1.1, speaking of the Son, says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the Son of God doesn't just speak the words of God, but He is literally the Word of God. As God speaks through both what He says and what He does. The Son of God communicates who God is through His words and actions. So we've just seen in this first point of three that the Son of God is the revelation of God, that He communicates who God is far better than any prophet ever could. The next two points we're going to consider are much briefer. We're not going to spend as much time going into them, but they're still just as, just still, they are still as breathtaking as the first point was. So the first point we saw is the Son of God is the revelation of God, and now we see the Son of God is an heir. If you look with me at verse 2. Verse 2 says, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. An heir is someone who receives something as a possession. Something is made to belong to them saying they own something. The Son is said to be an heir of all things. The Son is said to own all things. Animals, mankind, the world, the universe are His. They belong to Him, making Him the Lord and Master of all things. As we come to this phrase, so if you kind of just scan over Hebrews 1, 1 through 2, and as we come to this phrase, it might seem a little disconnected. If you were just reading in your Bibles, we just saw the Son of God is the revelation of God. He communicates who God is. And now we come in, the author of Hebrews says he's the heir. It might seem a little disconnected. You might wonder if he's just uh, describing the Son of God in some random way. But we see the key to seeing this connection between these two sections is to see how he is called the Son. The Son. And he is the heir. In human terms, the oldest son back in the day was made the heir of the father's belongings. When the father died, his possessions were given over to the son. So this language of son and heir belong together. So the author of Hebrews is not just randomly throwing around titles or descriptions, but we see he's going in, if you want to say, some logical order as he lists these things off. The application to this second point, as we consider this, the fact that the Son of God is the heir of all things makes him, 
the Master and Lord over all things, including us, should be a good reminder for us and cause us to submit to Him, to rededicate our lives to Jesus Christ. All things are His, including us. We might ask, are our lives, do we see our lives as for Him? Are we living our lives for Him? Are we seeking His glory with everything we do? Is His glory and praise behind all that we say and do? Now we come to our third and last point we'll consider this morning, and that is the Son of God is the creator of all things. If you look back with me at verse 2, it says, But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. So again, it might just seem like the author of Hebrews is listing off random descriptions here of the Son. But again, notice that we see a connection in that the Son has just been said to be the heir of all things. And now we're told that he's the maker of all things. The Son hasn't just been given all things. He isn't just made to be over all these things. It's not like he wasn't connected to them, but we find here he is the maker and the creator of all things, of every single thing. Colossians 1.16 says something very similar to Hebrews 1.2, and I believe it puts it even more clearly and succinctly. Colossians 1.16 says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Just like Hebrews 2 said he is the heir of all things, Colossians says all things are for him. And then it goes on uh, to the section we're considering now, saying that he created the world. As Colossians, Colossians said, all things were created through him. This would have been something that was primarily and exclusively credited to God the Father. And now the author of Hebrews is claiming that the Son had a part in it as well. We just saw Paul in Colossians mentions this very same thing, and we actually see this in uh, the book of John. The Apostle John claims this for the Son of God. Again, we'll go back to that John 1-1 passage and we'll add on to it. In John 1, 1 through 3, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And then it says this in verse 3, All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Here the name for the Son is this name, the Word, as we already have looked at seeing that the Son is called the Word and that He reveals God not just by speaking, but both through His words and His actions. And we're told in John 1, 3 that all things were made through Him. And then emphatically, it says that without Him was not anything made that was made. Meaning in the positive that every single thing exists, exists because of the Son. As we consider this, someone might raise up their hands and say, where is the Son in a very clear account in the Genesis account? As we think about creation, we think about maybe first and foremost the 
Genesis account. In Genesis 1, we get a very clear account of creation. And someone might say, where's the Son of God in that account? I want to just read a few verses of Genesis 1, and specifically 1 through 6, to show us that though not mentioned, we can see the Son in this account. Genesis 1, 1 through 6 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then verse 3 says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And then verse 6 says, And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And we'll stop there, but notice the fact that we are told that God said, Let there be light, and there was light. So it was the words of God creating. God spoke, and it was made. And now remember, we just saw that the Son is the revelation of God in the first point. That God speaks through His Son. The Son is called the Word. The Son is very much connected with the words of God as He is the Word. So though it doesn't say the Son in the Genesis 1 account, we very much see the Son in this account creating all things as God creates through His words. Something else I'll just mention briefly under this point that we learn about the Son of God from this last description as we consider it this morning. Pastor Reed's probably going to go a whole lot more into it in the weeks to come. Is as we think about the Son being the creator of all things, we see that He exists before all things. If the Son was part of the creation back before the world ever began, then the Son has existed before all things. Application as we conclude this third and last point. As we consider the context of the book of Hebrews and we consider these Christians and the persecutions and difficulties they are facing, we see that they could trust in the Son of God to see them through these difficult times because He is the one who formed the stars. He made the earth. He created all people. If he is that powerful and has created all things, then he is in control of the day-to-day -day of our lives in everything we experience and go through. So conclusion, as we close, you might be sitting here wondering to yourself, that's a nice passage, but what does it have to do with Christmas? What's that teach us about the Christmas story? Well, I think it teaches us a lot as we think about who is this child that was born on Christmas? Who really is this child that was born to Mary and Joseph? Luke's account names him the Son of God, and this passage in Hebrews gives us a whole lot more as we consider who he is. So Hebrews tells us that this child reveals who God is. This child shows who God is. This child that was born on Christmas Day will display to the world who God is through both his words and his actions. This baby is even greater than the prophets in communicating the message of God. Secondly, we see in Hebrews 1 that everything belongs to this child. 
This baby is the master and the Lord of the universe. All things were made for him. And then lastly, this child in the manger is the creator of all things. This baby born to Mary made the world. This child is the creator of the heavens and the earth. This baby was there when the world began. My prayer is that we walk away this Sunday and in the Sundays to come as we continue through this series, standing in awe of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the child born in a manger. Let us close with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for just this text of Hebrews. And Lord, we, we praise your name as we think about the sending of your Son to this earth. And Lord, we, thank, we think of just the many things we can know uh, from the scriptures about him. That this was no ordinary child. This was no normal baby. But as we learn in our passage, we, we think and we stand in awe of the fact that you use this baby, you use this man to ultimately uh, share your word, to communicate to us who you are. We think even of just the fact that this baby and this man, Jesus Christ, is the ruler of the universe, that all things are his. And even just how he created this world, how you work through your son to create all things, even us. And Lord, we praise you for these truths. These are hard things to get our mind around. And uh, Lord, we just pray that you give us understanding. We pray that you give us a greater appreciation as we even go further into this text in the weeks to come. And, and Lord, I pray that we would stand in all of you, that these things wouldn't just bounce off us, or they won't go in one ear or out the other, but Lord, help us to stand in awe of who you are, and specifically as we consider your son who you sent to this earth. And Lord, I just pray as we go out into our weeks, just help us, help these things to come back into our minds. Help us to intentionally think about these things. And Lord, I pray even as we've considered some applications, that they would really make an impact in our lives as well. And in your name I pray. Amen.